Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the State of Dallas podcast. I'm Billy Embody. Thanks for joining me on the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Network, the Republic of Football podcast. You can follow us at Spotify, Apple, YouTube, wherever you catch your podcast. Follow us, the Republic of Football. Last week, SMU went on the road against a Rice team that has played particularly well against some top competition. We knew they beat Houston. Regardless of what's going on with Houston overall in their first season of Big Ten or Big 12 football, uh, the Cougars are a step up in competition for the Owls. Well, they went down or went over and uh, beat them this year. They played Texas tough. They played Tulane tough. Well, they played SMU tough. But the Mustangs were able to stay unbeaten in AAC play, winning 36-31 last week uh, to improve to 7-2 and overall on the season. And this was a really important win overall uh, for SMU because the Mustangs had been relatively unchallenged in AAC play. Uh, they beat up on uh, even the tough game against East Carolina, still won, uh, I believe, 31 to 10 uh, is what it was. Um, SMU beat up on Charlotte. They beat up on Temple. They beat up on Tulsa. Then you get to Rice and they were able to keep this one much closer than really a lot of people would have thought. But look, SMU set them up so well on special teams. The block punt returned for a touchdown by the Owls to open the scoring. SMU gave them a short field at the end of the first half, which resulted in a touchdown. And the fake punt, even though Rice didn't capitalize on it, the fake punt on the opening drive uh, still kind of set up the field position battle to be a little different. But it was SMU that ultimately overcame all of that, including an injury to Preston Stone that knocked him out uh, for the remainder of the game early in the fourth quarter. They were able to overcome that and improve to 7-2 and two overall on the season. And I really like that aspect of it, of course, because SMU needed a game like this. They needed a uh, game that they were going to be tested and they needed to face some adversity and they did get just that um, from the Owls, which isn't too surprising overall. I mean, look, SMU, I, I thought they were going to be able to go and beat up on the Owls. And that's in part because you've had so many uh, successful runs in league play. And I thought that highly of SMU. But also when you look at what this team really brought to the table going into this one, this is a game that should have been much more lopsided than it was. And instead, SMU kind of let the Owls hang around. And that's what Rice did uh, to a lot of teams this season and, and will continue to do, I'm sure, um, is, is play them tough and, and keep games close. But SMU was able to overcome all that, which is important. And you know, without bad special teams play, without some uncharacteristic tackling from the defense, this and and honestly, some untimely penal penalties uh, for SMU or timely penalties uh, that went in Rice's favor, this one would have been blown open. And I know it's ifs and buts and things like that. But just earlier this year, we were looking at an OU game where ifs and buts, you know, once again, a partially block punt after Preston Stone missed Roger Daniels early in that OU game, the fumble by Jalen Knighton. This was pretty similar in a way, except SMU was able to overcome a lot more negative plays and win this one. 
you look at not only the fake punt, but the holding call that, you know, you can go back and forth on that one for sure. That was called on Branson Hickman that took the opening touchdown off the board that went to RJ Maryland. And instead they fake the punt, you know, Rice gets a short field. The defense comes up with a stop, but the game could have been seven, nothing to start for SMU. And instead it was seven, nothing rice um, because of, you know, a couple drives getting bogged down early for SMU. But I felt like Preston stone added a good bit uh, to this game. He had SMU in prime position to continue to win um, and went down with an injury early in the fourth quarter, which allowed Kevin Jennings to step in and uh, go four of six, 37 yards, uh, no touchdowns. And if not for a holding call, maybe he lead, leads a touchdown drive that really puts things out of reach for the Owls. And uh, Preston finished 15 of 28, 224 yards, two touchdowns through the air, and then led the team with eight carries for 81 yards and a touchdown. Here's the deal. We met with Rhett Lashley today uh, as I'm recording this Wednesday, and he said that you know Kevin Jennings has taken the reps. Preston Stone's still in the protocol. They're hopeful that he's going to get cleared, which is very similar to what happened last year with Tanner Mordecai and which gave Preston Stone his first career start at Tulsa. You're at home this week. You feel good about where Preston Stone is and in terms of where he stands with this offense and how he's been playing lately. I think we're going to see Kevin Jennings against North Texas. It's just my opinion. Uh, but I, part of that is this is a short week. They play Friday night at 8 p.m. Central against North Texas in Ford Stadium. Another piece of that is Rhett Lashley kind of mentioned it today. You know, he Preston's gotten some rest this week. Might not be a bad thing. You want your starting quarterback who's kind of cooking lately uh, to be the one that leads your team out there without a doubt. But if there's a question... Uh, if he is uh, going to be ready or healthy, you hold him out because guess what? Next week you go on the road and you face a Memphis team that you haven't won up there in years. You're going to want him ready to go. Granted, it's a protocol. It's out of the coach's hands. But reading the tea leaves, when your backup quarterback takes the starting reps from you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday – I mean, you're sitting there for the most part, probably expecting him to play um, and and be the starter. And who knows? Maybe Preston's going to be available and cleared, but maybe they give you know Kevin Jennings a start. I don't know how they'd really play that one out, um, but it's no surprise Rhett Lashley is leaving things up uh, to a little bit of. And again, he's not cleared, so you know he's. I trust that he's being honest in that respect, but. It is not something I'd expect them to tip their hand at, no matter what. On uh, the flip side of things, P.J. Williams is not going to be cleared uh, for this game against UNT. He suffered a concussion. He's not. Uh, he was not practicing this week. He's he's not going to be cleared. Rhett Lashley ruled him out. And really unfortunate news: Jordan Curley, who you know I thought was going to break out and be you know a the next you know kind of Rasheed Rice, you know stepping out and and being this potential game-breaking wide receiver for SMU this year. It, it hasn't panned out. Um, he's finished for the season. Uh, he finishes the year 18 receptions, 319 yards, 17.7 yards per catch, which was actually the best of his career, and two touchdowns. He tore his ACL on a non-contact play, uh, blocking against Rice. So he is out for the rest of the season. Really, really tough low for him. He's one of the hardest-working guys on the team. 
What will now happen, though, is Jordan Hudson, who caught a touchdown against Rice, is going to step up into a, you know, 1A, 1B receiver role for SMU, which a lot of people have been clamoring for. He had three catches for 37 yards and a touchdown. He had one screen catch that could have gone for a bigger gain, but they quick whistled him. And uh, he was kind of upset about it. He's fighting for extra yards. Well, on his touchdown, he fought for a few extra yards and was able to pull it in. Great throw by Preston Stone over the middle on a dig route. Um, was able to get uh, that connection with with Jordan Hudson and uh, complete that one uh, for the touchdown, thirty yard score. Um, and and Preston also hit Roger Daniels for the game's opening touchdown for SMU uh, on a deep ball. That was a great catch by by Junior. Um, all of those things are kind of lost in a lot of the craziness of this game. Tyler Levine scoring a three yard touchdown run. Uh, Preston having a, a 34-yard touchdown run, um, or, or no, it wasn't a 34-yard touchdown run, but um, maybe I'm going nuts here. 20-yard touchdown run, and he also had a 31-yard, uh, 34-yard carry as well. So a good night for him on the ground. I think for me, the biggest takeaway, and we'll divide it up here. SMU was able to overcome a lot in this game and still go for 484 yards. They averaged six yards per play. Before Preston got injured, I think they were up around 6.7. So the offense was rolling. SMU didn't allow a sack despite uh, losing Logan Parr late in the game. They lost P.J. Williams. Um, you know, they just didn't have their usual depth at the position. And, um, you know, uh, Jalen Knighton's turnover was, was a rough one. That was a tough fumble. We didn't see him after that fumble, which, you know, is pretty uh, normal uh, for um, – uh, you know, uh, Jalen Knighton to not play after that, the way Keenan has, has hold, uh, handled that room. LJ Johnson went 15 carries, 73 yards. It's just really unfor for, unfortunate for Jalen Knighton because every time he's kind of put in an awkward position at times, like he's fumbled. And uh, that was a tough one. I believe he was spinning uh, through that, uh, you know, crowd of people, which is when you'd want to have the best ball security. Unfortunately, uh, his 11 carries, 55 yards, five yards a carry. Um, which led the team outside of Preston Stone um, was was all you know overshadowed by that. So um, I, I think defensively, um, there's really not too much more to add offensively. It was just kind of one of those weird games. Uh, but I thought they moved the ball well. They had only had 80 plays, um, which they'd like to be around 90. But uh, they leaned on the run. Uh, they were able to do a lot on the ground, which was just good for this team uh, to do that against against Rice. So. Um, defensively, SMU held Rice to under 290 yards. Uh, JT Daniels goes down with an injury. Chase Jenkins comes in and actually puts a lot of pressure on SMU. But 8 for 15 for JT Daniels for 81 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception in the first half. A good rating for him, but also a, a well below average performance uh, for him in terms of passing yardage, uh, what they were able to accomplish overall. And uh, I just think the SMU secondary stepped up in a big way. Luke McCaffrey, their star receiver, four catches, eighty-one or four catches, eight yards, one touchdown. Uh, so really good job on him, Charles Woods, Chris Meganson, just that that job that they did. Uh, whoever was covering him really uh, was able to take him out of the game. Dean Connors, who had uh, one hundred and ten total yards on fourteen touches, was really Rice's only form of offense. He had two touchdowns on the night. And um, he was able to make things happen. But 
Uh, SMU, nine tackles for loss, four sacks. Elijah Roberts continues to be a star. Isaiah Wachobia with the game-sealing interception. Um, I, I, I forget who the other uh, interception was. Let me try to uh, pull that up uh, real quick uh, for SMU. Kobe Wilson with another interception on the year. Uh, he's He's been you know one of SMU's better defend, defenders overall. It's just a team effort. And uh, they were able to shut down Rice eventually and, um, you know, hold them off. I thought Colin Rogers, who earned AAC Special Teams Player of the Week uh, honors, he missed a long early field goal and then bounced back and hit three, including a 51-yarder that put the game on ice, really, for SMU. It totally changes how Rice has to go after things, even though they had a weird substitution uh, timing on on their final drive. But um, instead of having to go for a field goal, uh, if you miss that, he nails it. SMU leads by five. Totally different ball game in terms of how Rice has to go after things with Chase Jenkins, their backup quarterback, who's more of a runner in there. Um, I, I just, you got to give SMU kudos uh, across the board on defense. Now, special teams, you get a block, punt. Uh, that unit needs to be cleaned up without a doubt. Uh, there's just been too much going on in terms of pressures allowed. Um, I like the coverage unit. I feel like SMU has been able to cover punts well, but when you're not protecting at a high level, that is that leads to potential game-changing plays and against a team like Memphis that has taken advantage of special teams plays and opportunities to beat SMU at Memphis in the past. You can't leave those extra points on the field for the other team to just be gifted. And that's what SMU did in special teams uh, last week against Rice. So um, I don't mind the fake punt call. I It looked like such a simple play, but I guess it was just slow developing and the, and the Rice player made a great read on it. But um, I, I would have punted it and just trusted your defense. I know you trust your defense because you fake punted it. It doesn't matter. But uh, you're also just kind of like, you know, I, I don't know. I just I would have punted it and and done that and maybe played a little bit different of field position game. But uh, nonetheless, SMU was able to uh, survive that one and uh, make it work. And then kick coverage. They've they've been for the most part pretty good. Colin Rogers uh, has has allowed that that unit to for the most part be okay. But you know, Rice was able to break a big one and then he had to make the tackle. Colin Rogers and and that added on yardage at the end. So. You're kind of in a, a tough spot there uh, for that whole, um, you know, position to to have to you know make that tackle and then you get a penalty on it. So I think there were some uncharacteristic penalties overall by SMU, a couple of weird situations, and obviously the one against Branson Hickman was, you know, you can probably throw that one out the window most games, but um, nonetheless, SMU overcomes a lot, um, and Rhett Lashley got pretty emotional when talking about it. Specifically, he talked about Tyler Bean. He talked about um, you know, a Kobe Wilson. And I've said this for a long time on this podcast. I've said this since fall camp, really. I've said it in the summer a little bit, but they have a lot of returners on this team. They have a lot of players that that were brought in and hadn't won big and been overlooked, you know, and Elijah Roberts, Jordan Miller, Kobe Wilson, Keyshawn Smith, uh, you know, Jalen Knight and LJ Johnson. They've just brought in a lot of players for this team. Jonathan McGill, in particular, Charles Woods, Chris Meganson, list goes on. They all bonded together really well, and they play really, really hard for each other. And Rhett Lashley was pretty emotional talking about that uh, after the game and, and just how much 
a lot of these players and a lot of the team means to him and their fight to get this done and playing through injury in particular. There's a few guys like Marcus Bryant, Logan Parr that Rhett Lashley mentioned as far as playing through injury. Um, this is a team that if they can get through North Texas, will have two games left, but they have one big monkey to get off their back. And the great thing about being in the media is I can look ahead like that. I think SMU is going to beat North Texas. I think North Texas defense is just poor. I don't think they're going to be able to score enough offensively to keep up with SMU. But then you look at Memphis and it's one game really to punch your ticket to an AAC championship game. And SMU is so close and they have such a different makeup than past teams. They obviously play complementary football in a, in a big way, which is so key. And that defense has been so good. And they're on the precipice of, of making such a drastic statement for this program as it heads into the ACC that a lot of these guys that are playing their last few games of college football are going to have the chance to make. And it just seems like a close-knit bunch. And they needed a game like this, though, to be tested, play through adversity, have some key injuries. And now they're going to have to face another round of adversity, potentially without their starting quarterback against North Texas. So we're going to get to our preview with uh, the Green Rooms, Matthew Bruni, a co-worker of mine at On3, talking about North Texas. But I do want to leave you with a couple keys to the game, my prediction. I think SMU wins against North Texas 45-17. I think this North Texas defense is just poor. I think SMU has done a good job of capitalizing against poor defenses. And I think we're going to see that again this week against, against North Texas. They can't stop the run. I think if SMU is building off of what they did against Rice, especially if you have Kevin Jennings, you force feed LJ Johnson. You get Jalen Knighton back into a groove. Maybe Kamar Wheaton is ready to go. Tyler Levine, who finally kind of got some short yardage work. Now is the time to assert yourself at that level. And Kevin is capable of leading this offense up and down the field. He's shown that throughout the year, throughout the last two years, in his opportunities to make key throws, to make the right play. And it's just another opportunity, if he gets to start, to do that. If it's Preston Stone's job, this is still the worst rushing defense in the entire country, really. And SMU is going to have an opportunity to take advantage of that. It's an eight o'clock game on Friday night, first round of Texas high school football playoffs. Who knows what kind of crowd we'll have uh, as we all uh, file into Ford Stadium, whether covering it on my end or watching it on yours. But uh, it should be a fun atmosphere. It's football weather. It's going to cool down a little bit. And it's the final SMU-UNT matchup for quite some time. And I I get the sense that SMU's defense is going to be motivated to take a step back in the right direction. This is another offense that has a highly touted passing attack, but they can also run the football, um, as Matthew will talk about. And this is probably, and Scott Simon did not mince words. He thinks this is the best offense SMU's faced since Oklahoma, which, yes, meaning over TCU too. They have a lot of weapons. Jay Macklin, they've got Chandler Rogers playing at a really high level at quarterback. Again, they've got multiple running backs. This is a UNT team that knows they're being slept on for this one. They're three and six overall. They're one and four in the American and they can ruin, really ruin SMU season uh, in a way 
uh, with a with a win at Dallas and you know take this one home um, in the final meeting for quite some time. So that said, I do like SMU's makeup. I think they're going to win 45-17. Maybe maybe Rice or uh, UNT can battle back in the second half and maybe make it a little bit closer. Matthew thinks that. Um, I'll see on that. I just think when SMU is playing at its best, which is in league play more often than not from what we've seen, I think we're going to see them be able to roll. The line has just is racing towards 20 points after opening around 12. Um, so Vegas is liking what SMU can do to UNT as well. But um, this is this is a, a big game to bounce back for this defense, which we haven't heard in a long time. So an opportunity for them to, again, kind of make a statement. They played well last week, but they would like to have played better. Some tackling issues that they have to address and did this week in practice. So we'll see how those look against a highly touted UNT defense or offense. So with that, I like the Mustangs 45-17. We are going to go to our preview after this quick break with Matthew Bruni. So thank you guys for listening to this edition of the State of Dallas podcast. Stay tuned after uh, the quick break and we'll have the game preview from the UNT side with Matthew Bruni of the Green Room. So follow us wherever you get your Republican football podcast. I'm Billy Embody. Enjoy the game Friday night, 8 p.m. Central against North Texas. SMU looking to move to eight and two overall. Welcome back to the State of Dallas podcast. Joining me now on the show is Matthew Bruni of our Green Room podcast, uh, checking out North Texas from the Mean Green angle as SMU takes them on eight o'clock on Friday in Ford Stadium. Matthew, thank you for joining the podcast. Uh, we've been at this a long, long time. Uh, it's good to get one conference game in together. Yes, finally. Um, after years of you know talking, that's the reason I'm here. It's the reason I'm in Baton Rouge, Billy, because we were covering North Texas SMU back in 2017. So um, good to do it one more time before y'all head over there to the to the west to the east coast well i guess the west coast too all the coast yeah, coast to coast coast to coast um let's let's focus in on kind of the big picture for north texas right now they first year in the american it's you know three and six one and four on in the american right now but to step up a level in in leagues what have you seen from you know just the fact that north texas is now in the american you know the Power Six, you know, all those things uh, that that the American has kind of brought to the table. How has that benefited uh, UNT from your your perspective? Yeah, I mean, you look at it and I believe it was, I mean, they played Cal on ESPNU, which was great. And then they opened conference play and it was Navy on CBS Sports Network, Temple on ESPNU and Tulane on ESPN2. And you're like, okay, there you go. Three straight, uh, you know, television games, which, you know, would never have happened on in Conference USA. So um, SMU this week is on a Friday. Um, now we see, you know, on ESPN2. So that another one where, you know, at least you have eyes on you. Uh, and I, I like, even though obviously, you know, it feels, I don't know, gimmicky is the right word, but, you know, you don't love playing on Friday nights because Texas high school football, but it is what it is. You take um, as much as you can get. And I think in the American, if nothing else, it's given them a much tougher schedule, which, I mean, we'll talk about, but, um, a much more challenging schedule with the lights of Memphis and SMU and Tulane and even, you know, a Navy team that's that's competent and, um, you know, so on and so forth. So I, I think from a an opponent standpoint, I think a reckon uh, uh, eyes on them standpoint, I think it's been a, a positive. And you're 
in year one of the Eric Morris tenure, uh, got to spend some time around him at the Texas High School Football Coaches Convention and just seems to really get it. And one thing we know he can do and that is that and that's put up points. Describe this offense a little bit. He's a Mike Leach disciple. What has gone well? What is still a work in progress? They statistically, I think they're the number one offense in the American right now. So a lot's gone well. Yeah, they've been terrific um, offensively. Eric Morris, the question was, you know, it wasn't if, it was more of when. Kid, Could you, with a receiving core that lost Jair shorter and lost all of its tight ends, I mean, Barkey's Gums is at Arkansas. Jake Roberts is at Baylor. Um, Ash Roberting's at Cal. So you lose all your tight ends. You lose your best receiver. Is like, can you run an air raid offense after Seth Luttrell basically – you know, turned them into kind of a run first team over the past three years with the offensive line and the running backs. And he's been able to do that. I think, um, well, I know a massive reason for that is because of Chandler Rogers, that quarterback, he's just been phenomenal. 64% completion, you know, 2,400 yards, 21 touchdowns, three picks, nine yards per attempt. So, I mean, that's been a real, real positive and it's shown us, you know, Regardless of where this program goes in the coming years and if they can figure out the defense or not, the offense will be able to score points. So that's exciting. And I I mean, I they've been able Latrell was able to get offensive talent to North Texas. So I anticipate Eric Morris should be able to continue to keep that trend going. What's what what are the strong points of of Chandler Rogers's uh ability at quarterback? What does he bring to the table uh for for this offense? Yeah, um, I love Chandler Rogers. Dude, that he is an absolute baller. Um, I mean, you go watch the games against Tulane, Memphis, even UTSA, even though he had two interceptions, but they were both tipped pa- tipped passes. So it's kind of, you know, whatever. But uh, he's been phenomenal. Uh, his accuracy, hit the way he can move in a pocket. You know, we've watched college football. We know there are plenty of bad quarterbacks out there at every level you know sec included big 10 included all the all the conferences so when you have a quarterback that can make plays and single-handedly kind of keep you in games um it's huge so his legs are are um a real weapon um the accuracy is there you can tell this is a guy that for the last two years that louisiana monroe had to kind of put the team on his back so he has no problems putting the cape on and trying to turn into superman he is uh the reason that they've been able to stay close in games and um, honestly uh, Eric Morris not starting him in the first two games of the season, I think is the reason they lost to FIU, which is an awful loss, but, yeah, uh, and then Cal, Cal got out on them real quick. And because Stoner was starting a quarterback for some reason, that is the single most perplexing thing um, I can remember covering football team for a while. Cause Eric Chandler Rogers is a really, really good quarterback. Defensively, uh, we'll get to in a second, but let's touch briefly on the run game. Uh, Air dropped for a second. Yeah, like, what, what? Come on, yeah, let's get on the offense for a second. Getting you, getting you sweating. Maybe we'll go there now. No, not yet. Um, they running the football. They've been very, very good. They've got wide receivers who can make plays. I mean, if how's the offensive line? That's something you know you and I haven't talked about. Have they been able to keep Chandler Rogers upright? Is it is it him just making plays? Is well, how's that group? They got to be good to to be able to run the ball the way they have. Yeah, I like I like I mentioned, Latrell recruited this offensive line and recruited guys like Jet Dunk, uh, Jet Duncan, Gabe Blair, you know, Casey Mareka, 
um, guys to fit into the system that he was running at the time, which was to run the ball with all of these running backs that they had. One of the better running back groups, um, you know, in Conference USA last year, and I think one of the better running back groups in the American, even with Iowa Day and Oscar Attaway, and you go down the list, Isaiah Johnson, so on. So they have the running backs and they have the offensive line that can run the ball. The question for me coming into the year was, can they pass protect? Because we talked to Gabe Blair out of Denton Geyer, who was a, a really, uh, I mean, he started since he was a freshman, a really good player. And he's like, yeah, it's been a process for me. It's been a process to get back to, you know, the pass blocking tendencies that an air raid system has. So that was a major question for us. It is quelled because Chandler Rogers can avoid a lot of pressure and roll out. So that makes it easier. But I do think the offensive line overall is, is a strength and the offense as a whole, like you said, averaging 482 yards per game. I mean, they're really just clicking uh, across the board and, you know, starts with Rogers, but it continues with the offensive line and the run game to give them balance. Defensively, uh, they go to a new scheme in Matt Capone. What is it's not gone well. Uh, they're one of the worst defenses statistically, but you and I talked a little bit about flashes before this. What are the encouraging flashes that you've seen? And, you know, can you take, you know, some solace in the fact that maybe some of those flashes happened the last three weeks against the best competition they've, they've seen? Yeah. Um, you know, at Tulane, home against Memphis, home against UTSA, all losses. And, you know, you allow 35, 45, and, um, 37 points but you know if, if y'all if you watch the game or even if you just you know track it or look at a box score it's like oh okay sm uh, tulane led 21 to 0 at halftime and then the game was tied at 28 28 and memphis similar type thing where it's a, a second half comeback and north texas doesn't allow points in the third quarter like the second half improvements are tangible the second half improvements as a defense are like okay why are they not able to do this for four quarters and Ultimately, this is a new system. Like you said, it's a new scheme, but I don't think they have the personnel to be competitive for four quarters right now. Um, that's ultimately the reality. You take what you can get. You're, you're good for two quarters with this um, personnel and this scheme with where I do think they are improving. But when you play a Memphis, you just can't spot them, you know, 21 points or you can't spot Tulane 21 points. Same thing with UTSA. So the second half has been really impressive. Um, but overall, you know, I, it's still a defense that gives up way too many big runs. Um, I think it's solid. It's gotten better in the past game. But um, when you're in this 3-3-5, you just have to commit so many eyes to the run game that it's it's hard to, to really stop anybody. When the defense, you know, got together, was there kind of any hope or has this just been something that, you know, just you knew you were going to take your lumps making this type of a move to this new system. Oh, yeah. No, I, I knew it was, I knew when Larry Nixon and Deshaun Gaddy left for the SEC, that was going to be big. Um, and then, you know, they have Rod Brown up front, who is a really good player, um, recruited from Phil Bennett, who Phil Bennett was really high on him. And I think he's a really good player. But you have so many question marks in the secondary at linebacker. Jordan Brown's been been good for them, but he is, you know, kind of a question mark uh, as far as we didn't know what we were going to get. Um, I did not have expectations of this defense being good, but uh, obviously to be the worst in the country, you know, that's definitely not where uh, you want to be with a North Texas team that, 
you know, allowed 31 to Avalon Christian, 37 to La Tech. The, the FIU game, which I'll go back to, is the worst result of them all when you can allow 46 points to, to that team. So the start of the season was awful. I do think they've made progress because, like I said, if you can go from stopping people zero out of four quarters to two out of court, four quarters, that's progress. But overall, um, it's not quite enough, and it'll take them a couple years to – try to get it right you know north texas even under the trail could never get the defense right uh we'll see if if um they have any success under morris uh what about special teams are, are is that a good unit um is there been been some explosive plays because smu is coming off a game where they struggled uh on special teams it's it's been a fine it hasn't been anything uh one way or the other i i will say you know kind of going back to uh the memphis game uh they recovered it on, or I'm sorry, was that Tulane game? All these comebacks getting lost, uh, yeah. jumbled in my head. But you know, in one of the comebacks, they had an onside kick. They recovered, and those are the type of things you you need whenever you're trying to come back from these type of deficits against good teams. You need the special teams play. Um, they've mostly been consistent on field goals. Um, Kalon Horton coming into the year, I thought he was one of the better kick returners in the state, and uh, you know, he's averaging 22 yards per return. He returns almost everything he gets his hands on very, very fast player. Um, you know, hasn't returned one for a touchdown yet. So I guess if you want to ding him for that, but he is overall uh, a quality kick returner that I think they, they trust in a lot of ways. What are the keys for North Texas in terms of upsetting SMU on Friday? It will be, um, forcing turnovers. Um, and I, I do think, you know, you look at the, the Tulane game, the Memphis game, I'll go back to those two consistently because they were able to kind of in the second half get those teams uncomfortable on third downs. I, It feels like they're able to adjust, but you just have to – you can't wait two quarters to do that against good teams. And so um, I was really impressed with – you go back in the Tulane game where against Michael Pratt, they really shut him down in the second half somehow. And so if they're able to maybe keep it close for a half, you know, not go down three scores – uh, you know, you hope in the second half, maybe the defense can get something going there. But overall, if they're going to win this game, it's going to be Chandler Rogers. Chandler Rogers is going to have to have an awesome game. The receivers are going to have to be awesome. They're going to have to just score 40 points on offense. And obviously, um, as you know, I mean, the SMU defense has been incredibly uh, improved and solid. So I, obviously, that's an uphill task, but that's probably their best chance is Chandler Rogers once again putting on the superhero cape and going to work let's uh end it with this what are your predictions uh for this one i like on paper i i do think this is a real tough matchup because of the balance smu has um you know but i I went into the two lane game saying they had no shot against Tulane at all whatsoever and then they're tied in the fourth quarter and i'm watching in the press box saying how is this possible so you know they've they've proved me wrong multiple times here this year as far as keeping it close because i'm used to the seth Luttrell teams that would just go into wherever unlv last year and get beat by 30 so they haven't done that um the losses have been close at the very least except for cal um but i do think smu is a little bit too much right now so i'll put it at a two at a two score loss i'm at 38 to 24 um smu at this moment okay We'll see how it goes. I've got SMU. I said uh, 45-17, I think is what I said. Uh, that would cover, cover the spread. There that you would go. cover. That'd be, uh, yeah, quite the cover. We'll see. 
uh, Friday night game. Maybe it gets a little weird. Uh, going to be a little cool out there, but um, SMU covering coming into this one heavily favored. We'll see uh, how it goes. Uh, kind of like it's not a it's not a rivalry, uh, but uh, Oklahoma Oklahoma State this past weekend, the Cowboys being able to wow. take that trophy as as OU heads to the SEC. Maybe <laughs> maybe UNT will get bragging rights, but there you go. We'll see. Uh, not according to Matthew Bruni. So uh, <laughs> okay. I wasn't gonna say anything. I wasn't gonna say anything. I was gonna let you just outro it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for joining the show, Maddie B. Uh, follow them at uh, the Green Room. It's a part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network, the Republic of Football Podcast Network. You can find it on YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple, wherever you catch your podcast at. So, Maddie B, th- thanks so much for joining us and uh, enjoy the game Friday night. Yes, I will. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks for listening to this edition of the State of Dallas podcast, and we will catch you guys next week with another edition. Thanks for listening.